Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number four in our series for 2019. And today's date is Friday, February the 22nd. First, I talked to Ben Keane, the CEO of the Australian Lottery and News Agents Association, Australia's national industry body for the news agent industry. He'll talk to us all about the industry and how it's evolving. And then I talked to economist Nicholas Gruyan about the placebo effect and how we can improve government and business services. But first, let's talk to Ben Keane. Benjamin Keane, let's talk about the Australian Lottery and News Agents Association. Uh, yep. Well, the industry is going through a lot of change at the moment. I mean, newspapers are going out of business, and uh, they're getting fewer fewer people are buying them. I mean, and that's actually challenging a lot of news agents. And I notice a lot more news agencies uh, news agencies are shutting down. What's your view about that? Yeah, look, it's it's been um, it's been this way for a while. I've been working in the industry nearly on ten years, and um, and when I started, I thought that that. Um, the changes with newspapers and print media um, would have a huge effect over over the next few years. What I've probably um, realised is that they've actually been more resilient as retailers than I had expected. 
um, there's no doubt that the traditional print media um, is a big challenge and will be an ongoing challenge to, to news agency businesses. Um, but what we've seen is our, our members have certainly demonstrated a capacity to diversify their business and change their business model to ad adapt to that loss in revenue from those traditional um, print products. Right. So how would they diversify? Uh, look, most of the um, the businesses that are succeeding, um, they've definitely um, moved strongly into the areas of um, of, sort of gift products. Um, you know, if they're they're generally um, if they're succeeding, they're out competing their local toy store. They're out competing their local gift store. They're introducing. Um, sort of hybrid models. We've got a number of news agents that have now gone into sort of coffee shops in their stores along with news agency. We've seen some that are uh, news agents slash bookshops. We've seen some that have gone into, you know, we've got examples where there's, there's news agency slash pharmacy. Um, so they're looking at all of those different models. And, and yes, we are seeing some consolidation in the industry. That's, that's, that's a fact. Um, and that's been ongoing for, you know, the best part of the last decade. But, yeah, the, the retailers that are succeeding are just becoming much better retailers. Now, the uh, ACCC is now conducting an investigation into the impact of uh, uh, forces like Google and Facebook on the, uh, on the print media. Uh, have you guys, you guys have made a submission, haven't you? Yes, we have, yep. And, and look, there is, um, there's no doubt that that's having an impact and there's sort of a trickle-down um, impact on how that's affecting those, those major media companies. Um, and I think that's having an impact in our industry in that, you know, those companies are struggling for margin and that's, that's affecting the increases that we're able to get and that's been a real challenge as an industry body. Right, right. So uh, what have you been telling the ACCC then? Um, well, look, in our submission, we, we made it clear that that, that was, that was a, a big challenge. Um, I, I don't confess to have all of the answers. I mean, I think... Um, I think traditional um, media companies are having to change their model. Um, we'd love to see them working more closely with us to, um, you know, in partnerships that we could have a stronger, um, a stronger model in our retail stores. And I hope that that happens. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, I would love to have all the answers, but I certainly don't. I mean, on one hand, uh, I mean, in, in many senses, the newspapers have moved away from the traditional model where they were working closely with the communities. Now they're no longer working closely with the communities. Do you think there is room for that, that they can actually work closer with communities and therefore work closer with the news agents? Absolutely, I do. And that's a, a really interesting question, Leon, because I think newspapers have become far more a commoditised product. Um, and I think there is, um, there is, you know, a strong appetite in communities for um, longer format journalism, particularly where it's um, related to local communities. And um, we're doing a research project at the moment um, for the industry with the University of Technology, Sydney, the School of Business there. And one of the things that we're actually looking at is how do we, how do we leverage that sort of um, traditional role the news agents had as a bit of a community hub for news, whether it be that news is is in the format of the products that we sell or, or often 
I think that the, the thing that's actually probably kept news agents resilient to a degree is that one of the things I think we do really well, particularly in local communities, is that we sell basically quality human interaction, be it our, our owners of our stores, the mums and dads who run those news agents or whether it's their staff. And so that's an area that we're really looking at. How do we leverage that? And, and, and to your point, how do we work with... Um, with our partners to actually strengthen the products that we deliver that might um, enhance uh, that relationship. Uh, can you see any impact? Or, can you see uh, news agents getting into the digital game? Look, I'd love to say um, yes. It's it's probably our biggest challenge is getting our members to engage with e-commerce. And and you know, I, I talk about that that piece of research. We're really looking at what are the inhibitors in their business. Um, you know, be it red tape with government or be it, you know, barriers to entry in e-commerce and um, digital advertising, app use. Um, I think of a lot of those barriers, unfortunately, are that there are just so many tools available um, and news agents are probably confused about which ones to use and where to, um, where to spend the money that they've got available, be it di- digital advertising um, or how they engage in the social media space. And news agents are doing... You know, they've, they're, they're um, very successful, I think, in social media. A lot of our members are, are, have got terrific followings in the local community on social media, so that's something I think they're doing well. But I think the sort of broader um, advertising um, through search engines and things like that, I think they've um, still got a way to go. And with developing their e-commerce platform so that they can actually leverage that interaction they've got in the online sphere into retail sales. I mean, conceivably, you could see, say, newspapers moving into, uh, well, their digital publications being made available through news agents. That's right. And that's one of the things that we're sort of really concerned about is is sort of having some sort of level of digital equity for these small businesses that act as, act as agents for both um, media companies and agents for lottery products to ensure that they, you know, get a fair crack of the whip, uh, uh, so to speak, with regards to actually having access to the digital economy. Um, and so that that is a challenge and something we really want to do more work um, with those partners on um, to have that conversation about how can we leverage those relationships they have. Because our members have incredibly strong relationships in their communities, but they also have incredibly strong relationships with many, many other small businesses. And so it's, it's a question of how can we leverage those relationships in a win-win environment with, um, with those partners. Indeed, indeed. And, and the other issue I think that would be of concern for your organisation is about gambling regulation. Doesn't that impinge on your space? It does, uh, certainly. I mean, we've had a, 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 um, a, a strong advocacy campaign over the last 18 months, as I'm sure you're probably aware, with the issue of, of lottery betting. Um, so we've had, um, you know, what some might call uh, disruption in the the traditional space where news agents have been very strong with selling um, lottery products. And so we've, we've had a, a lengthy campaign in order to see um, regulation change to ensure that, that lotto betting um, isn't something that, that um, takes over from traditional um, lottery products, which, um, you know, by all assessments um, provide a very strong net benefit to the Australian community. But look, um, gambling regulation is... 
a, a very fast moving and active space at the moment. There's a lot going on in, in regulation in that space. Well, the other issue, of course, with gambling is that there's a lot more consolidation going on, particularly with uh, TATS and uh, TAPCOR merging. Yeah, no, the TATS TABCorp merger has been a big change. Um, look, we were supportive of that change. Um, we've developed a good relationship with TABCorp um, early on, and I think they're looking at that business in a, a different way to how, how it's been looked at before. So, look, um, obviously it's early days, but our, um, our certainly as the industry body and I, I think our members recognise that there's been... Um, uh, a stronger sort of partnership approach um, with our members since that merger occurred. Right. Okay. Okay. And do you see? And do you see it? Uh, how, where do you see the industry travelling from now? Oh, look, the challenge is ongoing. I mean, um, our our um, members are, are still performing well. Um, the industry is still still strong. There's still you know um, over sort of four thousand lottery agents and news agents out there. Um, but like all retailers, um, it's a challenge. We've got to capture the data that we have on our customers and use it as effectively as possible. We've got to continue to diversify our retail offering um, and change is ever-present and, and just accelerating, as, as I'm sure um, you understand, for all retailers. And so, um, you know, we need to have good, strong marketing groups that are working well with our members as the industry body. We need to advocate strongly for our members and we've just got to continue to support them. Right. Well, Ben Carney, it'll be fascinating to watch, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And now let's talk to economist Nicholas Grian. Uh Nicholas Grian, tell us about the placebo effect and its effect on economics. Uh, so I was uh, recently listening to uh, a, uh, uh, a podcast, the Econ Talk podcast, and... Uh, Russ Roberts had on a very interesting fellow who was a um, who was a um, psychiatrist, Gary Greenberg, who had written a long article about the placebo effect. Now, your listeners will know what the placebo effect is. Uh, just to summarise quickly, it uh, if uh, you've got a headache, uh, or let's say ten people have got a headache, and they go and see a doctor, and the doctor gives half of them aspirin and half of them a sugar pill. Or rather, let's say a third of them aspirin. Now we're going to have to make it 12 people. Uh, a third of them aspirin, a third of them a sugar pill, and a third of them nothing. Uh, what you'll find is that the, sugar, the, the aspirin works best, but the sugar pill works, uh, and that's called the placebo effect. The effect of doing something and the patient thinking that something is being done, that has a real therapeutic effect. Uh, so what is fascinating is that we have defined the placebo, that we discovered the placebo effect when we started doing randomized trials and trials of drugs and so on. And it suddenly struck me as I was listening to this that this is completely fascinating because what we have done, because the placebo effect is very discombobulating for a certain approach to science, which says medicine is about drugs and it's not about magic things like placebo, the placebo effect. We've defined that as unscientific, as something that we're not interested in. And so the whole process of drug development is a process of proving that your drug works and it isn't just the placebo effect. But you see, firstly, the placebo effect is a scientifically valid thing. And secondly, 
it has therapeutic effect. So it's kind of extraordinary that we have said, well, we've kind of defined scientific medicine as that part of medicine that ignores the placebo effect when we have all this evidence that the placebo effect is therapeutic and pretty important. And so medicine now, has, having had it revolutions of incredible usefulness, is now finding it tough going against, you know, things like obesity and diabetes and all kinds of chronic diseases. And these are the kinds of diseases where placebo effects are quite important. And uh, anyway, it took me into a whole range of reflections about other areas of, of, of stuff that I've done in building social programs. So what, what impact would uh, placebo effect have on social programs? So... So that's uh, the very way you put that is the sort of typical, the, the, the way in which we're thinking of science which or, or drugs and so on, which is that the drug effect is the real effect and the placebo effect is the kind of uh, occult effect, if you like. So, so uh, when I, I spent six years chairing the Australian Centre for Social Innovation and we built social programs uh, and, and, ex and abstracting from our experience, one way to describe the, our approach was to say that if we want to bring about a therapeutic effect, which is, let's say, a family is, un, is, in da is at risk of falling into crisis after which the, the state will take their kids off them, um, we found my way of describing the kinds of programs we built uh, was to say that the therapeutic effect is delivered within an empathic bond. Now, what the hell am I talking about? So instead of having social workers visit that family with their clipboards and so on, these social workers are from a different class, they come from a different suburb, have a different experience, and they work nine to five. And uh, the so what we did is we built a program in which another local family, preferably one that had been through tough times, mentored under the supervision of a social worker, if you like, or coach, with both families coached by somebody with some training. It could be a social worker, uh, possibly not. And that was a much more powerful way to help the family get through uh, the get, get through their issues and actually make some progress. Now, you know, the this was delivering therapy, delivering services designed to heal a particular situation through the empathy of the various people. And the fascinating thing about the placebo effect in drugs is that it's greater when there is a stronger empathic bond. Uh, when And so you can even think that a cold or some medical condition, let's say a bad back, uh, but, but maybe something that we think of as a more obvious disease, you know, the flu or something, going to the doctor, trusting the doctor, making it partly the doctor's problem as well as your problem is therapeutic in itself. And we've managed to, uh, so if we're delivering social programs to Aboriginal communities and so on, and we don't do it in that way, we make a complete mess of it and the services are useless or worse. And it turns out that that's even true of drugs. 
So I find I, I anyway. So I found this a uh, a really fascinating thing that that this empathic bond between people is such an important thing that it's kind of important where we can all realize that it's obviously important, at least once it's pointed out. That's usually the case when you describe something like family by family to someone, the family program. But it's kind of, it's everywhere. And uh, it's also true of how well your drugs are going to go, how well your anesthetic, well, not general anesthetic, (laughs) but uh, uh, how well all kinds of of, of things uh, uh, it seems to be an important part of our makeup, and we can't just distinguish between these purely physical things and these things to do with the way we think and feel and relate to other people. Now, all of that has huge implications for the economics of service delivery, doesn't it? I, I, I agree with that. Uh, and the thing is, though, that it's all reinforced, not just by a particular idea of what's scientific and what's not scientific, but these ideas like here's a drug, that's the end of your bronchitis. They work well for bureaucracies as well. But if we have to understand context, understand people, find matches between people where there's a there's some chemistry, some empathic, uh, somebody in the relationship, that's much harder for business. That's much harder for organisations to do. So they'd rather just say, no, no, we... We're not doing that. Um, uh, we're, we're being scientific. So, for instance, ask yourself how many uh, every state depart every state family and community services department or whatever it's called in every state would have hundreds, if not thousands, of social workers and people who are case workers who work on particular cases. Ask yourself this question. Um, if there's a family, you know, there's a report of a family that's neglecting its children. <clears throat> How many of these, uh, how many of these organisations then consider, uh, if not immediately, then in the process of going through this exercise, which of their social workers would be a good fit for that family? And I would hazard to guess none. And yet, that is of the essence. That is what this work suggests: is that the, these these things about human relationships are of the. I mean. Most of your listeners will be able to understand that they're of the essence in a social working context, but it, and we don't even do it there. It turns out they're of the, if not of the essence, they're extremely important, even in delivering drugs. Uh, so, so that there are these reinforcing systems that are very powerful, uh, and and it's very hard to budge them because you kind of want budge one bit, like the science bit, but it's still more convenient for the department to operate the way it's always been operating. And so the bureaucratism, if you can call it that, gets in the way of government departments and businesses. Uh, well, yeah, and businesses run in fairly bureaucratic ways as well. The, the the difference about business is that business, if somebody's got a different way of doing something and uh, the market can reward doing it better, which, of course, it can't very well do so when you're alleviating suffering because there's not a lot of not a good market in that and of course that's um, a much harder thing to set up within a unit system of a government which has a single a single point of command well it'll be fascinating to watch and uh, certainly thoughts to take on board and uh, thank you very much nicholas thanks very much leon so what's happening in the news Well, Donald Trump says trade talks with China have gone very well and has again hinted 
he could extend a March 1 deadline for reaching a deal. Michael Pillsbury, a leading advisor to Trump on China issues, told Fox that Trump is essentially giving the Chinese one last chance next week and then perhaps a short extension, referring to the next round of trade negotiation in Washington this week. He pointed out that, Notice how the President always refers to the tariffs as bringing in revenue, billions of dollars of revenue to us, and so he is not someone who's anti-tariff. Pillsbury also said, this coming week's going to be awfully important when the Chinese come here at the working level, and we're going to try to find out, I think, what will be in this memorandum of understanding, whether it will have enforcement and time limits and be tough, or just be a cosmetic agreement. And Britain is set to slap tariffs on farm imports from Australia if the UK leaves the EU without a Brexit deal, a British government minister has warned. Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Secretary Michael Gove told a National Farmers Union conference in Birmingham that reports Britain would impose a zero-tariff regime in order to secure frictionless trade in a no-deal scenario were not accurate. He hinted that tariffs would apply to beef and particularly lamb. There will be protections for sensitive sections of agriculture and food production, Gove said. He said the tariffs regime Britain would like to apply in the event of no deal will be revealed in the next few days. And Labor has stepped up pressure on the federal government to start legislating banking Royal Commission reforms, presenting draft laws for five changes it says could be passed this week, including ending billions of dollars in commission payments a year earlier than the government had forecast, and protecting consumers. Banks and financial regulators will be forced to report every six months on their progress fixing cultural problems exposed by the Royal Commission under a plan proposed by Labor. Financial firms would also be named and shamed in decisions by the Australian Financial Complaints Authority when it decides in favour of customers if Labor is elected. With the government insisting the bulk of the 40 recommendation would require legislation should wait until after the election, Labor leader Bill Shorten has sought to portray the part-time parliament as dragging its feet. He released legislation which, if adopted by the parliament, would remove exemptions from responsible lending standards for point-of-sale lenders such as car dealers who offer finance. We're ensuring that car dealers and other salespeople have to comply with consumer credit laws that apply to credit assistance providers like brokers, he said. The government has so far committed to looking at this recommendation, mindful of the effect it might have on business. Labor's bills would also remove exemptions for funeral expense policies. The current exemption allows companies like Aboriginal Community Benefit Fund, not an Indigenous company, to sell low-value funeral expenses products without having to comply with the rules around insurance. They're basically unregulated. The third change would be to remove the claims handling exemption for insurance companies. And the Australian Securities and Investments Commission is contemplating more than 40 court cases, including criminal prosecutions, in the wake of the Banking Royal Commission as it adopts a litigate-first strategy. ASIC enforcement teams have investigations into 12 matters that were case studies before the Royal Commission and are assessing another 16 case studies. According to the regulator, there's been a 15% increase in the number of ASIC enforcement investigations on foot. ASIC confirmed in the update that it has adopted a new approach that emphasises court-based enforcement. In an update on its steps to implement the Banking Royal Commission's recommendations, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission also flagged a push for more funds to back its new aggressive approach and to fund new responsibilities it is expected to gain. It said its enforcement teams were undertaking investigations into 12 matters that were case studies before the Royal Commission and assessing another 16 case studies to determine whether investigations should be commenced. ASIC 
has already launched civil action in the federal court against an NAB super scheme trustee for charging tens of millions of dollars in fees for no service after the practice was exposed at the Royal Commission and separate civil action against Dover Financial Services over alleged misleading conduct. And approvals for foreigners to invest in Australian property plunged to their lowest level in almost 10 years, falling to levels not seen since the tail of the end of the global financial crisis. According to Australia's Foreign Investment Review Board figures, a total of 10,036 residential real estate applications were approved for proposed investment in the 2017-18 financial year, totalling $12.5 billion, the lowest total since 2019. That was well below the 13,198 approvals granted in the prior financial year. The figures presented by the FIRB are only for approvals, not actual investment in Australia. The FIRB said there were many factors that may have contributed to the fall in the number and value of residential real estate approvals last year. It cited anecdotal evidence from Treasury's business liaison program pointing to a drop-off in demand from overseas buyers, state taxes and foreign resident stamp duty increases, foreign investment application fees, tightening domestic credit and increased restrictions on capital transfers in home countries as factors reducing demand. And Australian wage growth is not growing at all. <laughs> Figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics show hourly wage growth excluding bonuses grew by 0.5% in the three months of December, coming in below the 0.6% pace expected. The increase left growth over the year at just 2.3%, unchanged from the level reported in the previous quarter. And Australia's biggest companies are ignoring calls from regulators and investors to do more to mitigate the risk of climate change, with a new study finding that many of the nation's top 100 companies still do not identify climate change as a material business risk. Of 72 big listed companies operating in sectors, more than half, or 57%, identified climate change as a material business risk. Investors have been voting against companies not taking action, and regulators have warned businesses that don't mitigate risks could be held liable. Companies have pledged to do more to meet global guidelines aimed at reducing carbon emissions. The report, released by environmental campaign group Market Forces, is based on public information from 72 big listed companies operating in sectors considered high risk on climate change. It found that just 32% of the companies disclosed detailed discussions of specific climate risks and opportunities facing their businesses. And banks may make it harder for consumers to get car loans, credit cards and personal loans under proposed rules from the corporate regulator. After the Royal Commission put bank lending practices under the microscope, adding to pressure from regulators, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission last week issued a consultation paper on responsible lending which reiterated some of its concerns about how customers' living expenses were assessed by banks. In response to the paper, which will be followed by consultations with the banks over the coming months, some banking analysts predicted certain types of consumer credit could be tightened. Macquarie analysts said that regulators' move to update responsible lending rules could have a bigger impact outside the home loan market, given that banks have already tightened up their mortgage lending criteria significantly in recent years. And despite being shamed by the Royal Commission, which saved its toughest criticism for NAB and its bigwigs, and despite revelations of the bank's appalling behaviour and the fact that Commissioner Kenneth Hayne remained unconvinced the NAB leaders had learned from their mistakes, NAB Chief Executive Andrew Thorburn will receive more than $1 million when he steps down at the end of the month. NAB has confirmed Mr Thorburn will receive a payment of $1,041,449 in lieu of 26 weeks' notice, which is in line with his contract. He'll also be eligible for any outstanding leave. In the year to September 2018, 
Mr Thorburn was paid $4.3 million and now, after the bank has been exposed, he walks off with a golden handshake. And Coca-Cola Amatil has written down the value of fruit and vegetable processor SBC by another $146.9 million, citing the uncertain outcome of the current sales process. The latest write-down, which takes SPC's book value to zero, follows a $170 million write-down in 2016, a $404 million write-down in 2014. And the war over milk between the big supermarkets continues, with Coles announcing it will not follow Woolworths in increasing the price of milk to support Australian dairy farmers. Instead, Coles insists it's in supporting the industry in other ways, and has called for an industry-wide levy on milk. This comes a day after Woolworths announced they'd be dumping their $1 a litre product, and will be selling milk for an extra $0.10 cents per litre. The extra money will go to 450 dairy farmers which supply the chain. In a statement, Coles said they're exploring additional options, but said a price increase could add to customers' cost of living expenses. And AMP's bottom line will be hit by as much as $30 million a year by a federal government bill that requires a wealth giant to hand over 370,000 superannuation accounts with low balances to the tax office. AMP said the indicative operating earnings impact on its retained businesses in FY19 is expected to be approximately $10 million after tax, with an annualised impact of up to $30 million after tax from 2020. The earnings impact will predominantly be in the Australian wealth management business. And the profit reporting season continues. Here are some of the results. BHP Billiton's underlying attributable profit from continuing operations fell to US $4.03 billion, that's $5.66 billion Aussie, for the first half of 2019, down 8% from $4.4 billion for the first half of 2018. Westpac reaped $2.04 billion in profits during the last three months of 2018. In its first half-year result as a standalone company since being spun out from West Farmers in November, Coles reported net profit after tax of $381 million for the six months to December 31, down 29% from the same period a year before. That included discontinued operations as a result of the demerger. Woolworths earnings before interest and tax rose 1% to $1.4 billion. IWF profit came in at $135.4 million for the half-year ended December 31st, compared with $45.2 million over the same period a year ago. Seven West Media's statutory net profit for the first half was down 13.8% to $86.2 million. Cochlear net profit for the six months to December 31st rose 16% to $128.6 million. Oil search bottom line profit in the year ended December 31st, 2018 rose to $341.2 million from $302.1 million, broadly in line with analysts' forecasts. Perth-based engineering group Monodelphus reported an 18% drop in net profit to $30.7 million. Blackmore's made a net profit after tax of $34 million. Beacon Lighting's net profit rose 30.2% to $11.6 million in the 26 weeks to December 31. McGrath posted a net profit after tax loss of $3.3 million compared with a $1.8 million loss the previous corresponding period. Brambles lifted its underlying profit 1% to $504.4 million. Ansel's net profit fell 91% to US $39.5 million. GWA's net profit after tax was $26.6 million, up 7.3%. Health insurer NIB has delivered a 5% increase in interim net profit to $74.5 million. The Bank of Queensland expects first half cash earnings in the range of $165 million to $170 million compared to $182 million last year. The Australian arm of social media messaging giant Snapchat 
contributed a $13.1 million profit to its loss-making parent company in 2017. Whitehaven Coal posted a 19% lift in first half net profit to $305.8 million. Corporate travel management statutory net profit was $38.9 million. Domino's net profit fell 9.2% to $53.3 million after booking $25.7 million in one-off legal and store conversion costs. Gas pipeline owner APA Group's bottom line net income rose 27% to $157.4 million. The A2 Milk Company said net profit jumped 55.1% to New Zealand for $152.7 million, that's $146.7 million Aussie, in the first half of 2019 fiscal year. Crown's normalised net profit, which removes the impact of gambling win rates, rose 0.9% to $194.1 million. Fletcher Building swung to a first half profit of New Zealand $87 million, from a year earlier loss of New Zealand $273 million. Insurance brokerage steadfast profit jumped 17.6% to $38.2 million. Rejects shop net profit after tax came in at $10.6 million, down 40.4%. Worley Parsons profit jumped to $82.4 million from $1.4 million a year ago, boosted by revenues from a UK acquisition. Sonic Healthcare's profit fell 2.4% to $223 million. WiseTech Global's earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation came in at a lower than expected $48.5 million. Civil and mining contractor NRW Holdings earnings increased to $28.2 million compared to $15.3 million the previous corresponding period. And that's it for this week. And next week I talk to Luke Anir about his business, iAuditor, the world's most powerful checklist and inspection app. He'll talk about Spotlight, a real-time incident report app and how his apps are changing the way businesses deal with risks and OHS. He'll talk about how he built his $400 million business and how he got a New York investment firm, Tiger Global, to invest in his company. I'll also be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about last week's wages and jobs figures and what they mean for the economy. And of course, I'll be bringing you all the week's news. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBOZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a great week. Take care, be good, and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 